Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jerry Springer. Oh, thank you. How come? How come you never say the brilliant Jerry Spring? I mean, you say all of them, they're brilliant. We're about truth here, sir. We oh. like to keep it honest. <laughs> I forgot that. Got yeah. <laughs> hey, here, here's some more truth. Uh, I was watching uh, Jimmy Kimmel the other night, and Snoop Dogg was on. Snoop Dogg, it, it, they revealed the fact that Snoop Dogg is getting a star in Hollywood. On the Walk of Fame. On the Walk of Fame. Yeah. Where's that yours? made me think, well, that I didn't know. And I don't want to embarrass him by asking him <laughs> in front of a, a lot of people. But Megan, do you, think he, do you know whether he does or doesn't have I'm a I'm judging star? by that face. He probably does, and he looks a little sad. Well, there have been a bunch of people that want to see me in concrete. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been offered that. Yeah, you yeah, Just yeah. face down. And, uh, <laughs> would you, no, no, I no, I didn't get that. Would you uh, authorize me, you know, I'm the one that went out and fronted for you to get you on Running Wild with Bear Grylls. That worked really well. I was well. going to say, that yeah, went really that well, Gene. But what if I no, uh, made the pitch to them, uh, nose around a little bit on the internets, to try to get you on, get you one of those stars? Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you how I would argue the case. Yeah, that just ought to be interesting. <laughs> Number one. Yes. You're on, while well, we're doing this show, what's the day today? The 11th. April 11th. All right, so if you're listening live today or watching on Facebook Live, say hello to all the people in Facebook Hi. land. Uh, that, so it's April 11th. So yes. on the Sunday following April 11th, you're doing Drop the Mic with Ricky Lake. Yeah. That's significant. Yeah. That's I, pretty cool. Why? Because I dropped the mic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, oh, yeah, that's the rap show. Right, right. It's the rap show. Yeah, that was good. That was fun. <laughs> Here's another reason why you're I can't worthy. tell you how I did. I don't have to watch it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I don't have to watch okay, it. Okay, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> Go ahead. There's another reason why I yes. think you're worthy. Yeah. So <laughs> last week I got invited along with a guy named Neil Craig, who was uh, defensive uh, safety for the Cincinnati Bengals back in the early days, oh, sure. National Football League. Yeah. To go down and talk to prisoners at this prison. I, I won't right. name it, but this regional prison. It's a uh, Media maximum security prison. Right. So I go down there. I'm going to talk about the changing media landscape. He's going to talk about the NFL. And we're walking across the yard. And some guys are walking past us going the other direction. And the guys in the group started, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. What? Why? That's first. I thought, <laughs> the hell's that all about? Yeah. I guess uh, they recognized you. They had heard from somebody who had organized, one of the inmates who Got had it. organized this, who okay. had requested that we come down there. The, and the they podcast. said, that's, that's a Jerry Springer guy. And they have said Got specifically it. the podcast. Got it. But so I talked to these guys, and there were hundreds of them in a gym, in the prison gym, all on one side in the bleachers. And we were at a table like this with a microphone. And uh, in the Q&A session, uh, I talked a little bit about, you know, Jerry Springer. Yeah. And they all, and some of them have been there for many years. The, the guy that I knew, who his brother, 40 years. Wow. Long time. Mm. And by the way, prisoners have access to terrestrial radio, TV, newspaper, and visitors. That's yes. how they get their info. No internet. Right. They, they've heard about the internet, but sure. they don't know what the internet is. Yeah. yeah. 
So is that like a nationwide thing, or is that specifically at this prison? I, do you know? I'm, I don't know. My guess is it's probably nationwide, nationwide, just because of how the internet could be used. Sure, there'd be security issues. I guess, and I agree with that. I think, yeah. but that's an easy question to answer. Yeah. I just I didn't ask it, but they knew. Jerry Springer and revered him. Well, there you go. That's, that's absurd. <laughs> give me a damn star. Hey, give me a star. Wow. That. <laughs> give my bro a star. Well, the truth is, Shoot. that is our basic audience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Either people who have are yeah. in or who are headed there. No, no, no. Both. People in prison <laughs> no. are, uh, and that's where we get most of our guests. Well. When they come out. Yeah. That's the transition program. Wow. You know, you don't just go out into the real world. You, you go, come you out of filter prison. filter through the Springer show You come show on first. our show. <laughs> if you survive our show, then you get two weeks in. And you want to know something? I, I have then sent a letter down to the prison yeah. officials, and I assume it's going to go to the warden, requesting. And I offered, during the Q&A session, this is interesting, it has to do with a podcast. A guy says in the Q&A, uh, because I talked about my life's work before this was as, yeah. as an educator, so I could help you work on. I've called you and said, mm -hmm. you're an HR person. Maybe we get some volunteer thing going down there yep. to this place, and we go there regularly. I would be willing to go weekly and, and volunteer to do stuff, whether it's working on writing skills, resume building, whatever, literature analysis. But this guy said, would you help us here start a podcast? Mm-hmm. They don't have the internet, but he said, would you help us start a podcast? And I said, hell yeah. yeah. What are you That's talking great. about? Well, what's the idea. one that we, you and I had talked about? Well, then this guy says, because I said, well, the, can you do, could you do such a thing? And he says, well, have you heard the one at San Quentin mm -hmm. called Ear Hustle, it's which is so a good. slang term mm -hmm. in prison for eavesdropping, Ear Hustle. Yep. Well, I came home and listened to it. It's amazing. It really is. Because I told these guys, all these guys are in the bleachers, and I said, you guys, I know without talking to any of you, you have incredible stories that people would, no pun intended, die to hear. Yep. And they, some of them are going to be horrible, and some are going to be tragic. Some are going to be, not your crimes, but your life, hilarious. Mm -hmm. and, and listening to Ear Hustle, and I said, we would cross-promote it on our show. Sure. We put you on our website to get it started. That'd be so we cool. would come to, I said, we'll bring the Jerry Springer podcast down here if, if they'll let us. And this is what I offered in this letter. I said, we'll come down and do a show. We'll come down and have Jerry Springer simply do a talk like I did. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, and how would, sure can I be they're going to let me out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we didn't get to that a, part yet. So this here's is a the setup. <laughs> hey, Jerry, why don't you come What's and speak to our people? <laughs> <laughs> Clank the doors behind you. I never uh, thought of that. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, so we'll see what comes of that. But uh, really I, I really like this place, to be honest. Yeah. It sounds crazy, but it looked to me like it was uh, very well run. And it, it was a pretty powerful experience. Just uh, it is. We hung out afterwards yeah. and talked one-on-one -on -one with a lot of people. Like two guys said to me, I said, where are you from before you came here? And they said, uh, Louisville. I said, I hate Louisville. <laughs> so what the hell do you have against Louisville? I said, you stole my basketball coach. Oh, yeah, Chris yeah. Mack from Xavier. They, yeah, they knew yeah, the yeah. whole they Xavier knew. thing. They knew, And even though they don't have the internet, they knew a lot of stuff. Did I you guess. know what this guy was in for? 
No, I'm, I would have checked it out before nah. you said you hated Louisville. Right. You know what? <laughs> you know, she's well, not really good at that you know, whole looking before you leap thing. Nah, he's, he's really more of a just he, get in there. If he, and he do was it in guy. for bank crimes, okay, but you know he what? Was in for something else, <laughs> right? They were coming up, one lining up, lining up to talk to either Neil Craig yeah. about football or me about art, and then yeah. switching over. And I said to a guy, I don't know if this is appropriate to ask, but. And if it's not, just don't answer it. But what what are you in for? And this guy, this was a guy, he came in on, with a walker with wheels. Mm-hmm. This was like an old man. Mm-hmm. And he paused and he said, it's appropriate. You know, I've got to deal with this. And he said, I said, when are you getting out? And he said, when I die, I'm, I'm in here for the rest of my life and have mm-hmm. been since I was 36. Wow. He looked like he was about 70. Mm-hmm. And he said, I killed my daughter. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. And wow. he got teary yeah. as he told yeah. me that and said, it, it, of course, changed my life. And you can't, it, it, it is what it is. It, it happened. Other guy said, I participated in a, a robbery in which somebody died. I mean, this yeah. is, it's a hard, and then you drive home thinking, my God, I'm going back to freedom where I right. can get on the internet immediately yeah. and listen yeah. to your hustle. Yep. Heck, Holy on the way crap. to the car, you can pull it up on your on your phone. Yep. It's un- unbelievable. So I would hope that maybe we can get something going and uh, others will determine that. Here's another reason why I would give you a star. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was he the is so thing. lucky to have a friend like you. I got to tell you. <laughs> Listen to this, Megan. You don't even, I don't think you know about this. Uh-oh. The other day, Jerry gets a call from the freaking uh, U.S. ambassador from Australia. Asking if he can the Australian have, ambassador to the United ambassador States. Ambassador yeah. to the United States, and he asked Jerry if he can have dinner with him. What the heck? I mean, I, did, did you get, I don't get calls like that. I get like no that. calls like that. No, I get calls from you saying, hey, you want to go to a prison? Yeah. That's what right. I get. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got. I yeah. That's all I got. Oh, you didn't get a call from an ambassador? No. <laughs> no. So what was that all? Yeah, actually, it came out of nowhere. He called at the show and said, um, could could I have a dinner with, uh, you know, with Jerry Springer? And uh, he is the Australian ambassador to the United States. Yep. So cool. And so, ah, let me check my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. We're so I said, yeah, but I, for a week I've been thinking, what could this possibly be about? And so last night in New York, um, you know, he meets me at the restaurant. It's Ambassador Joe Hackey, um, the Australian ambassador. And he had been, uh, you know, in the Australian government. I mean, really high up. He was the foreign minister, the uh, what the, comparable to the secretary of the treasury, defense minister, and in parliament, he lost by one vote to be the prime minister of Australia. So wow. I mean, big time. I mean, yeah. in the, you know, and so during, and he was just the nicest guy. And he he looked like a regular guy. I mean, he wasn't there as you'd think an ambassador oh, or hoity-toity. He was just. A regular guy, and I said, you know, this is wonderful. But in the middle of the dinner, I said, "What's prompting this? Why, <laughs> why would you?" He says, "Well, I'm a little embarrassed, but," and I figured, "Oh, he's going to tell me this great story to be on the show." <laughs> so, Jerry, Jerry Springer, the international says, edition. <laughs> we had for the 20 years that I was in the Australian Parliament, they have a. You know, a room where all the guys, where all the ministers, the uh, ministers, the men and the women, they kind of relax, you know, in between votes and stuff like that. And every morning at 11 o'clock, our show is on. 
So he said, <laughs> uh, he, he says, honestly, serious. for 15, 20 years, I've watched your show. and With I'm, other diplomats. Yes. And I've become <laughs> a, a big fan of the show. So when I had my retirement from the parliament, that's when he then was, um, became the ambassador to the United States, he said part of my speech to the whole parliament was, I, I, I have wonderful memories of this place. Number one was watching the Jerry Springer show, and everybody just roared. So I said, wow. once that in my life, he says, he says, you're on my bucket list. And, no kidding. And, this is, and, and he was just, we had, and we, we talked a lot of politics and all that. That's really cool. And then he invited me. That's to unbelievable. Go, it's really yeah, cool. To go on a speaking tour. He said Australians are fascinated with American, not only pop culture, but American politics I now. Know. I mean, they're obsessed with that. And... You know, he'd like to have me come to Australia and do like a two-week speaking tour at the various universities there on America. Now, did he know before you guys talked, like your political background? Yeah. He did yeah. know all of that? He, so. he knew it. I mean, he was asking me questions that made me nervous. I kept thinking there's a hidden mic someplace. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's, it's funny. I'm always thinking like, the, like a producer, I will take a cut of this episode and put it on. And, and put that in the uh, exhibits <laughs> the that real. I will send to whoever <laughs> yeah. the hell runs the yeah. Walk of Fame or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, I that, will ask him to, here's the thing. Maybe he'll write a letter that I could put into the box that I'll yeah. send them. Oh, I thought you would said I should have mentioned, will you come on our podcast? We should I, he sounds good, but Paul McCartney is my goal. <laughs> 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 no offense. You haven't heard this guy sing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, he he was really, I mean, this totally nice yeah. guy. You That's know, really other neat. than obviously very accomplished, but yeah. So anyway, well, so what, who who did you have dinner with last night, Gene? Um, no, nobody. I mean, my <laughs> my my wife was uh, she's a dance teacher and she was teaching. Uh, basically, nobody. Basically, it was pretty pathetic. It's, you know. <laughs> It's as pathetic as you can picture it. <laughs> yeah. TV dinner yeah. on the couch. Like, TV yeah. dinner. Yeah. TV dinner. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the microwave, you can get it in about 11 minutes. Well, 11 yeah. minutes exactly. You have to stop and the it halfway Parmesan, through. Isn't that well, good? you have well, to peel back the right. paper off peel, or something. Peel, yeah. Peel, yeah. yeah. It was wonderful. For the dessert, not for the whole. No. Yeah, for the dessert. Yeah. <laughs> Zeno's. Wow. wow. This is a whole thing that we're talking about right was, now. That was my first dinner. That was my first dinner with Mickey. A TV dinner? Yeah. I invited her to the apartment, maybe our third date or whatever. And I said, why don't you come? You know, I'm, I'm going to cook I'm, for you. I did say I'm going to make some dinner. <laughs> I didn't have a clue how to cook. So I had a Swanson, a Swanson TV, TV dinner. TV dinner. Yeah. But when it got out, and back then we didn't have microwaves. It, it was in the oven. In the oven. Yeah. And I don't know, you kept it in for 15, 20 minutes or whatever. When it came out, because I'm a classy guy, I had a paper plate, and I took it out, and I put it on the plate, so it didn't look like it was you coming out of that. You didn't serve it in the, no. in the aluminum. And I had it on a, one of those wicker things she, underneath. Again, a lucky gal. Just <laughs> lucky, man. And she now tells me, I, she, I had no idea that this was kind of silly. I mean, I was really proud. Oh, yeah. that's it. You yeah. know, and we had ho-hos for dessert. <laughs> I swear. I believe this is you. not an embellished story. I believe you. This is God's truth. You know, what's interesting is he and I both came from nowhere. 
Yeah. And I'm still nowhere. Still nowhere. <laughs> but no, but we both you know came from the same place. No, 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 no. But now you get to use a microwave instead yeah. of the oven for yeah. your, for Life your is a lot dinner. better. So wow. Sinclair Broadcasting made oh, yeah. me think also of uh, Springer because he was a news anchor in Cincinnati for a bunch of years, the NBC affiliate. And in Cincinnati and across the country, if you've been following this too, Megan, yep. Sinclair Broadcasting is requiring its news anchors to read this script, which is which are the talking points of Donald Trump, yep. fake news and all this stuff. And uh, it made me think, Jerry, of the time, well, l- let's just go forward, and you were still a news anchor, because news anchors, is it not true, in a city will be that for their lives. It's a great job. It and is. there's a trust thing. So we know personally sure. some anchors who were anchors when you were around, and they still are. Yeah. Been there 20, 30 years. Yeah, Rob Broin, Bob's yeah. son. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. actually is at the station where this is happening in Cincinnati, and a, a Channel 12 in Cincinnati, and he is one of the people who was required to read the script. Ooh, did he? He did. So what do you, so for, and I think people know this story, Sinclair is a national company largely of local TV stations, and in their newsrooms they've required this corporate written script to be read during the newscasts, as well as uh, putting on some must-run stories that come from corporate. So corporate is reaching into the local levels with a corporate message. What's your take on that? And a message that's very conservative, very, let's be honest, pro-Trump, talking about fake news and stuff like that. Look, any any company has a right, it's their company, they can do what they want. But the news people, they're journalists, and they have an ethic to follow. They have... You know, it's it's certain things you don't do in journalism. For years, stations would have their editorials, but it was always the general manager or the station manager. So if Sinclair wants to promote a particular message, it's a free country. They own the station. They can promote whatever message they want, but it ought to be someone representing the station. When you have a news anchor do it, all of a sudden you undercut the whole credibility of what they're doing with the news. Uh, so I, my gut tells me, and the closest I got to that situation, is that you know if I were ordered to read a certain thing, uh, I wouldn't do it. And I say, because I, I ran into that situation. I, I used to do commentaries on the n- local news. People outside the Cincinnati area don't know that. But I used to do commentaries at the end of every newscast. And um, one night... That you wrote, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. The deal was only that I would write my own commentaries and only I could see them. That they were not allowed to have any editorial control not even the subject matter, because that might create pressure. So, And they were happy with that, frankly, so that they could say, that's Springer, that's not us. So that was the rule. And one night, um, it was a Monday night, and, and we were an NBC affiliate, and they ran a movie on Roe versus Wade. And this was in the 1980s. Must have been. That's when I was anchoring the news. So it was in the 1980s. They did a movie on Roe versus Wade, 
Cincinnati, at least at that time, was a highly conservative neighborhood, uh, city, um, strong Catholic population, and um, clearly opposed to choice. You know, the majority of the people were opposed to choice. So the idea that NBC, the local affiliate, would run a movie on Roe versus Wade created a lot of protest. And in fact, there were protesters outside the building that night. And the general manager, who was at home at the time, was getting bombarded with phone calls, how dare you run this movie, etc. And he was just getting blasted. But in fairness, NBC was very courageous to not be influenced by that. They were going to run the movie. That's what was scheduled. And you could like the movie, or that's why God gave us remote control, turn to another channel. So that happened. Then it's time for us to do the news. And towards the end of the newscast, Norma, the co-anchor, would just before the commercial break read something that I just gave, that I just gave her, which would simply say, when we come back, Jerry's going to do his commentary on Roe versus Wade, the movie Roe versus Wade. Well, the general manager at home, hearing that, went ballistic. And because he has gone through a whole day of this, and now I'm going to make it worse. I didn't know that, that it happened. You know, I just innocently wrote a commentary, in a sense, praising NBC for having the guts to, to do that. So he calls from home into the control room to the young director in the control room. Oh, you remember Dave Shadowcotty, he right? And uh, pull his commentary. Because back then, you know, we read from a teleprompter. I would write the script and then. The teleprompters were such that it was like a conveyor belt in a grocery store, and you put your 8 by 11 sheets of your typewritten words one at a time, and there'd be an intern that would place the papers down one at a time with a little camera facing down as your script went by. So when I'm looking at the TV camera, I'm seeing my words go by. So all of a sudden, as I'm getting ready to do it during the commercial break, I see a hand pulling out the script. And then in my earpiece, Dave says to me, Jerry, we just got a call from Tony. He was the um, general manager. Um, you can't read your uh, commentary. We're going to put another one in. A and I said, what? He says he doesn't want you to read it. Well, I knew that my arrangement with the station was that there would be no editorial control over my commentary. And I, I didn't yell or anything, and I just say... Dave, put it through, or when the camera comes back after the commercials, I'm going to sit here and say nothing. You're going to have two minutes of just looking at my face. And Dave, the poor guy, put him in a horrible position. He's probably around 28 years old at the time. He's got the GM screaming at him from home, pull it. He's got the main anchor there, um, you know, saying, I'm not going to read it. What did I do? He says, oh, Jer, please, please. And I said, I, I can't, Dave, just... So they start running commercials, and it's supposed to be a two-minute commercial break, but now they're throwing other commercials in. This, I remember, this was in January, and they threw in a safe boating ad. <laughs> Anything we got. Safe boating ad in, you know, in January in Cincinnati, and all they just think, well, they did another two or two and a half minutes of commercials. They never came back. And then when they finally did come back, it was the end of the newscast, and Norma just said, good night, everybody. 
So when it was over, then I just took out my, you know, took off my mic, and I just realized I had just been fired. So I said, you know, that's it, and you know, I guess they'll call me tomorrow, or whatever. But I'm gone. So I wasn't thinking of the consequences of that. I wasn't just being a hero. It was just something that we had agreed, and I, I couldn't, I wouldn't have commentary anymore if the station was allowed to say what I wanted to say. And so I went, and by the time I got home, Mickey's saying, "Oh, they're." They're calling, you know, don't come in tomorrow morning, at least talk to the general manager and the owner of this station. Uh, he wants to meet with you tomorrow at 9.30. At least come in for that. So, and I did. And the next morning, God bless the station, the owner brought in the general manager and me and sat down and he said the general manager, the uh, um the news director, uh, the general manager wants to say something to you. And then he said, I'm sorry, you have a right to say whatever you want. That is the deal we made, et cetera. So they were great. They stood by me. And then the next day I got to read the commentary that they wouldn't let me read the night before, which ironically was a praising the station <laughs> for having the guts to run the, to run the thing. It's a long-winded story, but it says... If you're going to choose that as your profession, then at some point, now it's easy for me to say, and you know, back then I didn't think of the consequences. If I really realized that I was putting my job really in jeopardy and where was my income going to come from and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not here to criticize anyone because I don't know their family situation and how badly they need this job. And there aren't tons of those jobs around. So I don't want to get up on a high horse. I can't believe they did that. But clearly, the answer to the issue is if you want that written, have the general manager of the station say, this is a statement from Sinclair or whatever it is, and read it. Just be honest about who wrote it. Don't pretend that this is the view of the journalist because then you're never going to know if what the journalist is telling you is what is true or what is what he's being told to say and, and i think that is well you know it, issue. it's interesting in the aftermath of it because media matters i think it's media matters did this and they put together a conglomerate of all of these journalists doing this across the country and it made it look ridiculous because they just they made it transparent oh, yeah. yeah yeah and it's and they just it runs for two and a half minutes or so, and they just keep every sentence as being said by five people, 10 people, 50 people. And <clears throat> journal, journalism school, university level, heads from a bunch of the big schools wrote a common letter and released it of uh, saying, we don't train our journalists to do this. This is antithetical to the ethics and the professional standards I ran the journalism magnet school for Cincinnati Public Schools, and that's for high school kids, but they left us and went to these journalism schools around the country, the university level. If this had happened while I was there, we would have spent a whole day on this, mm -hmm. talking about it in classes, because it's just not how you roll. You don't do this. Uh, we'll see if what repercussions. And then... Uh, Sinclair then put out a statement just yesterday or the day before saying to their uh, anchors and their employees, we have to stand strong against this uh, political attack. So they're, they're just such jerks trying to 
now squirrel it into mm-hmm. a, a political attack on them. It's a journalism attack on them. It doesn't matter whether they're right-wing, left-wing, moderates. You just don't write a corporate statement and then have anchors, as you say, looking like, look, if this never got out into a national thing, the Cincinnati audience watching Cami Deerking, one anchor, and Rob Braun, the other anchor, they would think that they wrote this yep. because they would have no uh, relationship reference point. But this wasn't written by them, nor the person in Spokane, Washington, or Des Moines, Iowa. So I, I don't know where it goes. They're being try, they're trying to buy the Trib, Tribune stations, and they're waiting for approval. And uh, I don't. I, one guesses they'll get it because it's from the Trump administration, and they're all friends. So I don't know that this will trip that up or not. But again, Sinclair can do it, but they should. Do it. Be transparent. This, be transparent. Be transparent about who's writing this. Yeah, that's and, all. And if that's and, what the and who's yes, that's right. Who's writing this? And and maybe be so transparent as to say this message is being. I mean, you really want to be transparent. Okay. Don't leave it on us to figure it out. Right. Oh, we're all sitting in one city. You want to tell the truth? The truth is, we wrote this. We sent it to uh, four hundred local anchors to read the exact same words across the country. No, there's the truth. Mm-hmm. They didn't do that. That had to get forced out, drawn out by people who saw it a different way. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yes, it uh, is. Jerry, we seem yes. to be creeping closer and closer. <laughs> Some say, as Donald Trump would say, a lot of people are saying, yeah. uh, creeping closer to impeachment. I mean, we, we used to scoff at that two months ago, six months ago, but what do you think? With the continuing breaking news literally every day now, uh, you know, suggesting that either Trump is destroying the presidency or undermining our institutions and the rule of law, it is always tempting for those of us on the more liberal side of the political spectrum, it's always tempting for us to be uh, induced by billionaire Tom Steyer's um, ads that you've seen on television where he calls for the uh, impeachment of the president. And, you know, you sit there and you listen to what he says and you think of all the things Trump has done, and there's a part of us that goes, ah, oh, yeah, man, that's, that's what we ought to be doing, etc." cetera. But uh, clearly it is red meat for those on the more liberal side of the political spectrum. The impeaching of Trump. Will he last four years? What's going to happen now? Uh, But I would say, don't be sidetracked. The the issue now cannot be the impeachment of Donald Trump. The issue now has to be the election of a Democratic Congress and Senate. That, in political terms, has to be the only thing we focus on. And the reason for that is that, as I said, I think last week, unless you have a Democratic Congress, all of these ideas, whether it's gun legislation, DACA, the environment, education, health, health care, all of the things that a progressive America would care about, in fact, most Americans care about, never even come up for a vote 
because every committee is chaired by a Republican and controlled by the Speaker of the House, who now is obviously um, not going to be there next time. So nothing will get done on this agenda unless we have a Democratic Congress. Don't even think about impeachment. Nothing is going to be done in terms of the policies that we care about. So the only political issue this year is to win the Democratic Congress and the Democratic Senate. I'm suggesting that talk of impeachment will hurt our chances of winning. The mere talk of it. Why? Well, right now, there's not a lot of excitement among Republicans. The intensity of their support for their own party is diminished by all these news stories. It's not that they suddenly became Democrats. It's that they're just not that excited about every day another bad story about what's going on. So they're not really psyched up to come out and vote this November. But if the Republicans can frame this election as a referendum on whether the president should be impeached, I promise you this will happen. Number one, we have given the Republicans the greatest money-raising tool you can think of. Now they've got something to raise money for because they will tell their people, if the Democrats get in, this will be a coup. They will try to undo what happened in this past election, and they will try to impeach our president. So you don't have to think he's real polite or he's got a lot of social graces or any of that. But the election was held. The Republicans, the president, if you let the Democrats win, there'll be an institutional coup, and they will vote to impeach the president. That among the Republican base I'm just talking about, will really get them jacked up to give money, go out and campaign, show up and vote. That is a reality. Then you have the moderates, people that would this time probably vote Democrat, but they don't like the idea of impeachment. They just think it's not a good idea for the country that if every few years, when you don't like the electoral results, when your candidate loses, you find some reason to go through the chaos of an impeachment, as happened with Bill Clinton. And so some very reasonable people will say, you know what, Trump won, not happy about it, we'll have to do better next election, but this country can't afford every two years to have an impeachment battle. The one year you have the presidential election, you don't take the results, you don't like the results, then start a movement to impeach. Because you can always find some issue and make it a big issue and say, we got to impeach. And so we'll lose moderates as well. The result is that the Democrats will not win the House and the Senate this time. If this election is a referendum, referendum on impeachment, Democrats will lose because of the Republican base and because all those moderates and even Demo some Democrats who just don't think impeachment is the way for our government to run. We start to look like a banana republic if every two years we're having an attempt to throw out the man in power or the woman in power. And even if Dems do win this November, 
The Republicans that managed to get through will now be emboldened. They'll say, even in spite of the Democratic wave, I got elected so in my district so I can stay really conservative and Republican. That's what my people want. And so you will never wind up with the two-thirds vote in the Senate that you need to throw him out of office. Even if you get impeachment, you won't get a conviction. So what was all that about? And finally, and this may be the worst part, remember what happened when they impeached Bill Clinton. They impeached him. Obviously didn't get anywhere near the two-thirds vote necessary in the Senate. And Bill Clinton became more popular than at any time in his presidency. And if he was allowed to run for a third time, every poll show he would have won in a landslide. Because all of a sudden, the impeachment process looks like a partisan political battle where the losing party has sour grapes and is trying to undo, undo it. So Bill Clinton became more popular. And believe me, if there is an impeachment of Trump and he survives it, and he's a master at the media anyway, you know he will look at himself, he will project himself as the victim of a partisan attempt to undo the vote of the people. No Republican will run against him in the primaries, and Donald Trump will be president for another four years. If you don't want that to happen, stop talking about impeachment. The only way impeachment will work is if it organically, on its own, comes from the Republican Party that says, we can't have this man as president of the United States. Let the Republicans do it, if it's that clear of a a crime, and then the Democrats can go along. But it can't be a Democratic-led or Democrat Party-led effort. Thank you, Jerry. And back to our show again, Mr. Justin Lynch. Justin, you can come on. There he is. <laughs> hey, Justin. Yeah. yeah. Welcome back, sir. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, so what have you been up to since last we spoke? Oh, music and making art and stuff. And yeah. Oh, sorry. Making music and making art and stuff and learning how to use microphones, finally. <laughs> and, apparently. <laughs> So what are you currently working on? Do you have any new music coming out, new albums? Um, I am working on uh, trying, well, there's a, there's a, I've got a couple of songs that, uh, that a, uh, a producer from television shows looking at maybe using, uh, doing a Western, um, cool. filming up in Ohio, um, but, and uh, writing and recording stuff and trying to assemble an ensemble sort of thing. And I also, uh, um, do illustration and design work. I do the artwork for their for the folk school's uh, concert series too. Yeah. And so uh, very yeah. very cool. So this evening for us, you have the first song you're going to be singing is "You in His Eyes." Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm going to do that. All right, Justin Lynch, ladies and gentlemen. Left the dog, he took his life He left a pale mistress and a paler bride He left it all and gave it away And I didn't know him anyway To me was strange 
It's as good as any day to Dirty clean slate But from the knife I shall refrain They said we can see you in his eyes They said we can see you in his eyes I can't see Said the rocking chair prophet to the widow's son There ain't no preacher in this town Seen more weddings than my shotgun But he was far too young to understand that one So they said we can see you in his eyes They said we can see you in his eyes There's a place not far from this town It's a place where trains go to die It's a place where the lovers go To the trees they go To carve initials with their knives To me you are strange And it's as good as any day Too dirty A clean slate From the knife Yes, from the knife I from the night I shall refrain Cause they said we can see you in his eyes Cause they said we can see you in his eyes well, I can't see me in your eyes They seem Thank you. Wonderful. Um, we, uh, Justin, how long? I, I know you've been playing for a long, long time. How long have you been playing music exactly? 19 years yeah. now? About, yeah. Almost 20. Mm -hmm. where, now, where can we go to check out some more of your music? Um, uh, SoundCloud. Okay. Um, it's Justin Lynch and the Skywriters is currently doing business as or trade as, I guess. Um, yeah. That last song I uh, is from a record um, from like I don't for a band I used to play in called Wojo, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I we me, me and my wife went and saw a couple of Appalachian writers speak um, at the Mercantile Library um, last Friday, and uh, a guy named Robert Geip and uh, really piqued my interest, and so and it kind of made me want to do that. This song um, in your eyes is sort of the the whole idea of it was sort of the uh, the stigma of um, of like mental illness in, in, in rural families and how that 
you know, some probably kind of one of the one of the harder things to uh, to I guess rise above in that is is like the stigma of that being you know something that is genetic in your family you know sort of thing so that was yeah that was that but uh, it's powerful yeah Yeah. thank you but i I, you know i don't know but i was just sort of uh inspired to play that because i don't have anything new that i want to share yet but um still working on it so there you go (laughs) that's fine i won't tell you what's on my mind Great. Um, yeah. yeah, someone, I, 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 know, I just read somewhere, someone said, you know, Lord, bear me with my unfinished jams kind of thing. <laughs> um, all right. So this song I'm going to play, uh, the second one I'll do is, is a song called Miss Ingles. And there's a section of uh, Route 8 not far from here down in Campbell County called the, um, uh, the Ingles uh, Memorial Highway. And uh, that's what this is it's kind of about. There, When I lived in Bellevue, um, it was an awful, awful car wreck with a bunch of high school kids, and uh, mm. I kind of wrote this about about that, I guess. So um, it's really uplifting, and it's a dance tune. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a sad waltz, yeah. and uh, that's what I'm here for, and to make the, the to make the good sound feel better, Miss Singles, don't you ride the boys home Summer days grow weary with the way The coach runs late and it must have strayed And I fear that the worst is to come Miss Singles, don't you carry them away Too many souls haunt this road And all your suitors dressed fine And taken before their time And I fear that the worst is to come Singles, won't you lay a peaceful rest and make merciful the sleep those that you take on old number eight and quiet the sorrow in our homes and quiet the sorrow in our souls. Thank you, Justin. Again, you can check him out. Sorry, Jerry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, that is great stuff. Really beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate it. We're going to take it down a notch and let Jerry jump in with you. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, that's not fair. Two notches. <laughs> <laughs> we'll a little down by the riverside here, yeah. Justin. We thank you for being back with us. And yeah, we'll look forward to, ta- to seeing you again. Well, thank you very Good. much. And let's, uh, let's take it on out, I guess. 
Recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. <laughs>